Welcome back. Episode six, I believe. It's just gone way longer than I thought it would. So Joe's off to a fast start, obviously, this week. Very excited to see if he can beat his record from last week, saying five insightful things, which we think he can do. And uh, somewhat of a condensed schedule this week with some FA Cup games. We're going to focus on the big highlights of the past week, and we will get into it. But a defining week in the title race, most likely. Still, as Kevin De Bruyne said after the game, 25% of the season left, and so it's not over. And, you know, teams can, City can still stumble, stumble, although they look like they've hit peak form and are unstoppable at this point. But I just thought a very interesting and, and revealing game yesterday about the true class that City has on the pitch and what they have in Guardiola, um, which I'll get into my thoughts in a little bit. But uh, what did you think about uh, what was supposed to be billed as the, the game of the season, Joe? Yeah, had a feeling just with Arsenal's recent form going into it that and it being at the Etihad that um, City were going to take it and touched on it a couple of times now, just Arsenal looking a little bit vulnerable at times and I think City put that on display for for everyone to see. Um, you know, we we talked about it how some of those results, the draws, you know, with Liverpool and you know at West Ham is those are very tough places to go and get results. I didn't think it was a full you know wobble, but this is um, you know this is to the fullest extent now. It's tough, right? I mean, they're still technically in first, you know, with with was it two games in hand, but just in terms of the performance. And the class that City had, it was just kind of a matter of time. Um, and they put it on display for everyone to see. Um, could have been more, really, to be honest. I think City gets that one goal, and or excuse me, Arsenal gets the one goal and to try to keep the scoreline a little bit decent. But the fourth one really blows it up. And I think that's how the game went. I think it was a 4-1 kind of result. Um, and they did what they wanted. What did you see? Yeah, I was uh, very surprised at the amount that City just dominated. Because Arsenal all season have been a great pressing team, have done really well winning that ball high, pressing as a unit, disrupting play, but also winning the ball back quickly high up the pitch. They're, they're very effective at it. And Arteta set them up to be flexible with different game plans against different teams to when they get on the ball, really expose those teams' weaknesses. We talked before about how good Arsenal's been again, Martindelli in one-on-one positions and soccer one-on-one positions, how good they've done that getting Odegaard in the half spaces. And they've used those guys in, in different amounts. They focused on them differently depending on who they were playing and they've adjusted really well. And I thought that in this game, they did none of that. They never got, they never looked like they really got on the ball. They never really, you know, it didn't look like Jesus, Martinelli were playing soccer, got a couple long balls over the top, but City just really controlled everything. They controlled the tempo, they controlled the ball, they made Arsenal play their way. And the biggest thing I was surprised was the, the tactical masterclass that Guardiola put on. That was the biggest thing that jumped out to me is that it was really master and student with him and Arteta. And the way that Arsenal set up to basically know that, uh, excuse me, City set up that Arsenal was going to come out the gates and press them really high. And they got them to move upfield and then they would just play it to an outside back, knock a long ball. And then De Bruyne would find that space in between the center backs and party. Right. And he would go to Holland, it would hold him up and he would run through or he would knock it off to Holland and then they would play. And uh, you don't usually see City be that direct, but it was a brilliant and it wasn't direct like you used to play direct where it was like, hey, we're just going to kick it over the top and we're going to run. This was a pass with a purpose. Blindly playing it forward is what <laughs> yeah, we called it. Exactly. Joe, Joe Blindly Salem. But the fact that they found those spaces between party and the center backs so consistently and drew Arsenal out to do it. I thought it was a really, really smart tactical move, and it worked all day. Like, I couldn't believe how many times in the first half. I mean, De Bruyne's first goal was an example of that. And the brilliant touch from Holland there, like, un- withholding on his back, like, absolutely brilliant first touch and laying it off. But there were so, so many examples of Holland running with the goal in front of him with space, right? And you said he almost scored, like, two or three goals in the first half like that, where he was running with space on an angle and just bent it by the near post, for example. Breuner's goal came from that. And so, yeah, I thought it was a tactical masterclass. And when you have the, the class on the pitch of City to execute like that, that it was it would look really easy. And then there was nothing Arsenal could really do to adjust. So I was just very, very surprised by just how they got outsmarted, really. Yeah, I've heard people saying, uh, pundits talking about how it, uh, with Joseph, um, it was such a class performance from him that they're thinking about adding the age to it. Um, yeah. You see what I did there? Joseph, exactly. <laughs> there, there you go. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. No, I think that uh, – And it was Pat funny Guardiola's, to see because... I heard he might go to math the next if they win the Champions League. And there's nothing more to yes. win. I heard he might go to math the high school. Yeah. yeah, yeah, at this point. 
that's the real treble if you can win the WCAC. I mean, the Champions League is nice, but I don't know if he's been on the road on a Tuesday night in the WCAC. Yeah, I think that cold it, night in the WAC. <laughs> there's not many of those in, in DC. I thought it was interesting after the first goal how he kind of brought Edison over and was it was you know I mean yeah. it's Pep so he always wants to do it in the most public display possible you know and let everybody know but he was spot on right that that route one ball was on all day um, holding couldn't hold off Holland that first touch was quality and he said it wasn't like my tactics where it's just blindly dumping behind there was people running off of it there was they invited that pressure they pinged it around a little bit in the back and then once they stepped higher they just um, played in behind and. You know, Arsenal um, scrambling. They didn't really make any adjustments either, um, which was surprising to me. Or if they did, I just it didn't take. Arsenal never really looked like they were in the game at all. It was the first time I think since um, February, since the Leicester game, that they they only gave up or they only scored one goal, um, and and really they didn't look like they were going to score at all. So uh, total masterclass from him. Um, I, I get it. It's a little bit tough for Arteta. Your team's scrambling a little bit. You go to this place. You're trying to motivate them. You know, it's hard to say, hey, we're going to come in there and all season long we've pressed teams and we've been super dangerous in the attack and I trust you guys. And now we're going to go to the Etihad in the biggest game of the year and sit in and just absorb pressure. Um, so I, I understand a little bit of trying to motivate them and find a way and say, hey, we're going to step high and press and put them under. But it played right into City's hands. Yeah, I think I agree. I think you have to go out and say, no, we're going to – we're leading the best league in the world because we play like this. We're not going to overly adjust our style and go defensive or do something we haven't done all year. But I agree with you. The biggest shock was just the lack of counterpunch from Arteta and that they kept exploiting that space and they kept having De Bruyne have so much free reign and figuring out like someone should back and front Holland or man mark the run from De Bruyne and still press with the front four, something like that. It didn't happen. I think the confidence got a little zapped also after that first goal. And I think it looked like, you know, and this was the thing, again, youngest team in the league. And could they go there and take a punch and say, okay, like we're going to stick with it. And it looked like not only the first goal, but the way in which that first goal came where they didn't get near the ball. And then it looked like all yeah. the life got sucked out, of, sucked out of them and it was hard to, to get back. And then the way the city just pinged it around is got to be so demoralizing to, to play against. And then the Stones won right before half. I think like that was it. I was going to be so. Did so you think that was? Did you think from. that was offsides? I've seen some of the narrative no. about the different angles of it, and I was like, no, they the lines were pretty clear. I mean, he was yeah, great head first blush. Just, yeah, he's been unbelievable. I mean, he's played in World Cups, and he's always put. He has been, I feel like, take such a step forward this year. We talked like two, three pods ago about on the offensive end how he's been so much better on set, on set pieces, finishing, assisting. And that was an unbelievable, yeah, hung in the air forever. No, on first blush, I was shocked they were even, they called it off size to begin with, and then I thought the line was like was super, super clear, and he was def- mm-hmm. definitely, definitely on. But and the question for now is like Arsenal motivated. I mean, you you have to like keep going, but you just think City's not going to win. You're not really going to fall to United in third. So where do they go go from here? But I think that team. It's like the opposite of this first stuff, has a really good team spirit, a really good togetherness. I think they really believe in Arteta. And, you know, it's got to hurt so bad and that the whole thing blew up in these last three games. But I think it'll be a really good marker to see where they go from here and for next season if they can galvanize the group and, and come back. And the leadership within that squad, I think, needs to be on, I think will be on, on full display. Uh, but I think it just showed the gap between the place that City's at and any, any other team. Like them going in the Champions League right now, you know, we said this before with Liverpool and Real Madrid, right, where Liverpool looked like they couldn't be stopped and Real Madrid went in and did in the final. So, you know, Madrid obviously super talented as well, It'll be, but, you know, struggling in La Liga a little bit. But it just doesn't look like anyone is close to City's level right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, for me, the two points that uh, really uh, exemplified the the gap right now is, is De Bruyne, uh, the first guy, right? He is someone who Pep yanked off and champions league and right. the team responded in a positive way they, they actually took it to, to another level when, when alvarez came on the field he sat him for a couple games yeah probably a little bit of resting probably a little bit of everything right but i think also a little bit of that is letting him know that hey i mean he does it to all the guys like hey this is this is a squad we, we have to rotate the squad and if you're not at your best then then you, you're not playing no matter who you are um and he's responded brilliantly in the last couple of games and then and then you talked about john stones like he's playing in like in the center of the park essentially i mean he looks like I don't want to get too ahead of myself, right? Because he's he's only been there for like, what, six weeks, if that. But he looks like someone like a Fabinho or like a little bit of a Fernandinho in terms of that that presence, like defensively. 
And I know it's different because teams can't step and pr- play high enough against them to really affect it. But teams do try, and, and he looks super comfortable on the ball. And I think those two guys, for me, really epitomize the difference right now between, like you said, the the master and the and the pupil. Yeah, and, and how and the other thing with De Bruyne was the rumors where he came off because he wasn't executing the instructions in that game plan. And that's why this yep. is Cancelo, and you can go on and on about this. But if you don't execute what Pep wants from a positional sense, like Henri told this story in one of the Champions League broadcasts when he was at Barcelona, where he's like, you you play positionally for Pep in a very specific area doing a specific thing. And you have freedom within that, but you don't leave that position. You don't not do what you're supposed to do. If you're supposed to combine with somebody here or counter pressure, you don't not do that. And he's like, they had the ball on the other side of the field where Messi was the whole time. So I went over there because I wasn't getting the ball the whole game. So I went over there and combined with, I forget who, Messi or whoever, and I scored. And then he took me off. Because I didn't, see and and that's like what it is. And I think the when you have and Ferguson was like that, right? The great managers yeah. are backed by their clubs, and they're known as that they are that they are have the ultimate say, but the team has the ultimate buy-in to that. So you can sit a guy like De Bruyne, and he's not going to go a wall, right? Or Cancelo lo- loses his mind, and they get rid of him, and the squad buys into that, and that. That level of belief, I think, is only instilled when you know that the board and everyone has his back and also that he can inspire that group. And I think, you know, Pep, it's amazing he stayed this long in Man City because of what, you know, there's a lot of rumors he's going to leave a couple years ago at Bayern, but he just really has the system completely worked out. Stones is interesting because they tried to keep him off the ball a lot. I felt like when they when Arsenal was shaping their press, they wanted it towards Diaz a lot more. And everything was kind of like shaped that way. And then Diaz would find the right ball out wide to the outside back or into Rodri, and then they would go. And I think that just speaks to, like you said, how how much Stones has come on. And I also think it helps him that he has Rodri there. So he can step in and you have like the best D-Midi in the world and you step in next to him mm-hmm. and Stones can use his athleticism. I think that plays really, really well as well. But you got to say right now, he's probably like the most informed English center back. Like he's the first name on that, yeah. that team sheet for oh, yeah. Gareth Southgate. Which is yep. which crazy because he had a lot of ups and downs at City. Rumors of him leaving at a certain time. Um, so yeah, he's been un- unbelievable. Also, Phil Foden came off the bench lately. Lately, I feel like no one's talking about it. He's like he is not getting many minutes. He's really, really Jack Grealish has like really cemented that spot. Grealish was great again, and I thought he did a great job doing what he always does and connecting in final third and getting to the byline and doing cutbacks. He had some great tracking back as well. I had one tackle in first half. We sprinted all the way back on Saka and made a huge slide tackle. But yeah, Foden really not in the mix, it seems like, at City at all. Yeah, I mean, if we talking probably two or three weeks ago, we would have probably had the conversation about how Grealish has you know, come around and he's he's the guy who exemplifies what's going on. So it's a little bit more that that squad rotation. And Foden like, looks expendable almost at this point, right? Um, yeah. The young guy who could command a pretty high fee. I know he's a City boy um, and he's an academy guy. But, you know, you look at that team now, it'll be interesting to see. There's always talks of, you know, Bernardo Silva going to Barcelona or this guy leaving or that guy leaving. So, but touching on a little bit about what Pep says and and what Henri talked about, I saw a clip the other day of um, the guy, the manager who won the World Cup with Argentina in 78, Cesar Minotti, I think. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, but he he was doing an interview. Yeah, yeah. El Flaco. I know they called him that. And he talks about like structure within the team. Like if you have too much structure, then the game of soccer doesn't work, right? Because there's a lot of individual spirit. There's a lot of individual decisions, but you have to have some structure to be set up and play to be successful. And it was an interesting talk that he had, but you see that with, with, with Pep, there's a story of him and Raheem Sterling, right on the training ground, Raheem kept leaving his zone or his area, whatever coordinate and, or quadrant, excuse me. And uh, the story of how cities are, excuse me, Pep sprayed a, an X on the training ground to tell Sterling, like, this is your starting point. This is where you stand when the ball is over here. So he's got that command of the team. He's got the command of his system and it takes a little bit. And I think he's got to fight through it, you know, as the season progresses to get the guys to buy in and to really understand it. But once it clicks, it's so fun to watch. I think they're the favorites for the Champions League. I know it's not uh, too too risky to say there's four teams left, but it just feels like this is their time. um, So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think Holland is that like final piece, right? I mean, even like the misses, like the near misses he had, you know, he's such a threat. He's amazing. Like that one where he like slalom through his two Arsenal defenders, right? Two quick touches with the inside of his feet. The one where he just bent it around the outside of the post. He's such mm-hmm. a threat up top that when you have that type of ball movement and quality and all those cutbacks, 
he it's just you know there's all these like fan, like memes going around about how like when Aguero retired and Guardiola was like crying on the field says we'll never be able to replace him and all of that and, like and I think Sergio Aguero it, along with Thierry Henry are the two best strikers I've ever seen in the Premier League but Holland is a better fit for this team and just gets on the end of everything so I think he gives them that not only the one like can come up and get the goal in really difficult moments but also takes so much attention off of De Bruyne Silva Grealish because they're so focused on that focal point that it opens up for the stuff for everyone else so I just don't see how anyone can compete if anyone can it's Real Madrid and Ancelotti and the one off and he raises the eyebrow and like and and Modric and Cruz, you know, roll back one more time. And Tukumani, Kabavinga have like unbelievable games and, and are the engine rooms. But um, I just think City is going to be really too tough. Like on the tactical stuff with Pep, the other thing too I think is interesting is that he changes it so much, right? Like we've talked about the different systems he's done over time. The inverted, he was doing inverted fullbacks for a while. He's not doing that anymore. He's having Stones push up into the six every year. It's, it seems like, and he's gotten flack for this right in the champions league people say he like over analyzes it and that's why they've lost sometimes because he's done mm-hmm. too complicated tactics or changed things too much or made weird matchups but the players learning evolving all the time he was talking about how rodri for a while was too active as the six mm-hmm. on the ball and he was saying hey when we have the ball and when you have it specifically you need to be more quiet so you can see the whole game right you need to run a lot less you need to be not asking for the showing for the ball as much you, when the team is we're on the ball you need to not make so many runs you need to be more quiet and almost like get involved a little bit less in order to see and pick your moments and i thought that was really interesting never anyone heard talking about like the the six like that but within that like this yeah. position that's really needed and so i just think because of that he has all of the success and how the tactical evolution works so much he just has this credible buy-in and and uh he said everyone wants to be there and learn from him and they keep the squad fresh because he keeps it so intense and that's why that's why it works that's why it works yeah yeah my teammates used to tell me to do less as well i just never understood and they told me to be quiet when i called for the ball i never understood they were trying to and in, and, and in the changing room also yeah, yeah, yeah. also be quiet be quiet yeah. in the changing room you texted me that before this pod started as well so <laughs> And just and just don't do get on the ball as much. Just because <laughs> we all knew we had to sprint back. <laughs> we need automatic turnover. We need you to be more and do less. <laughs> Dude, just just go go get the water bottles. That's all we need you to do. Uh, it's so funny. They water can go bottles. in now and and uh, win the treble, right? No one was even talking about yeah. that two weeks ago. Yeah. Now it looks like you'd put them odds on favor. You think they go beat United in the FA Cup? Like I said, they look uh, they're two points back, two games in hand. So uh, a lot can happen and it's, it's very, very difficult, but they could, well, no one was talking about it. Now it's going to be all the talk and how do they mm-hmm. go handle, handle that pressure on, uh, on the other side, I'll let you go first. Cause I have a, a whole rant, but since we last spoke Spurs, Spurs played today, we haven't seen, I haven't seen it yet. So we're not going to report mm-hmm. on it, but Newcastle, uh, we said last pod, they were going to go up to Newcastle and lose. There's no mm-hmm. shock there. The, the, uh, extent, not the extent of the defeat, but the way it happened, the way the team showed up, the way we set up tactically, what it speaks more broadly about the club. But uh, yeah, a lot to unpack there. Where, where are you at with it before I, I air my grievances? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I watched that game in, in Hort. And to be honest, I took the dog for a walk and came back in the ninth minute right after they had scored the third goal. And I was like, I, I checked my phone to see if you were watching it live. And then I really waited all weekend to hear <laughs> to hear what you had to say. <laughs> so you texted me on Monday and said, did you see, or what did you say? Uh, I just said, heard, I said Tottenham heard, lost. Played? Yeah. No, I yeah. said Tottenham heard, lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you hear? So yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. But yeah, I mean, the tactical shift uh, on the road at, at St. James's Park collapse. I'm, I'm happy with the decision to get rid of Delaney here and, and give it to Mason because it's just been more of the same and a lot of things to unpack with it, man. I the, the players reimbursing the fans. There's just so many things about it that I hated, but uh, I've been waiting all week for this. What do you got? So it's kind of an extension of what we talked about, about last time, but it's where it's, it's the extent of it has gotten worse. What we talked about last time was that it's just a highly toxic environment at Spurs. We talked about this two times. The fans are on such edge and any little thing happens, everyone blows up. The players look scared out there. They look like they don't want to be there. And it looks like a broken changing room. And whenever any of these teams go through this, this looks like Chelsea at the moment look like they're not playing for each other. 
The example I thought of was United before Ten, Ten Hag came in. United has all these great players, but there's yeah. these games where they get blown out. There's these games where they don't show up, and you just there wasn't that. They, they just didn't seem like a collective spirit. It's uh, what Arsenal, even last year when Arsenal was up and down, up and down, you could see this collective spirit that Arteta breathed into the squad. Or you look at United this year. What has Ten Hag done? He's got everyone marching behind the way Ten Hag wants to play, the values of the club. They got rid of Cristiano. Rashford's late for a meeting. They find him, and he doesn't start. But everyone's behind Ten Hag and the way they're doing things, and they're buying in, and it looks like he's got a, a spirit within the team where they're doing it for each other. And Pochettino in the early years, that's what he had. He had everyone again, like playing for each other. And that was one of the things about Spurs was not only the fans really connected to the squad, but that squad was like very, very connected. All these up, up and coming guys that were like playing for each other and the lack of refresh in the squad coupled with the poor buys we've made coupled with not matching those buys with the tactical strategy, I think has led to a situation where the locker room is so frag is so broken that I don't know how much like Hugo Laurie's going off with an injury. Bullshit. And then he didn't wow. play. I know. I know that Foster started today. Bullshit. Like he's got to be gone at the end of the year. That's him quitting as club captain. Absolutely, like unacceptable. And I might be proven wrong. Maybe there's a serious injury, but like it did really look that way. And I think that what I saw was take the tactical side away, which ridiculous to go to a back four when we when we you have Perisic and Poro who aren't can't aren't defenders. They just didn't. We weren't playing for each other. They definitely weren't playing for Stellini. And so you got to go through and really decide who's going to leave in the summer, like who's a cancer in that locker room. And is Richarlison not happy because he doesn't want to be there? Is Romero not happy because we're not winning? Is Eric Dyer causing the problem? Like what I said before when Conte left was these players don't seem like bad guys. That's never been the rep. Their reps have always been really good, good guys. But I don't know if they've just quit on the season and on each other. And, and it's like almost like what's the point? And there's no like accountability and, and, those friendships aren't there. We really need to hire a manager now, hopefully Nagelsmann, that people want to get behind and can breathe the spirit back into Tottenham. That's the broken part. Reimbursing the fans, I like the sentiment of it, but I also think it's ridiculous. Like you, you go out and there's still, I, I don't think they didn't try on purpose, right? There's still professional footballers playing in front of over a billion people. Like you're, you're, they're still working as hard. I think it's working as hard as they can. Sometimes you just have a bad result. I think it's pandering. And I think it's, I think it's ridiculous that they, they went out and do that. And I think it speaks to the extent of the brokenness of the club where when United got the doors blown off by Liverpool, right? Do that. The fans know that, okay, here's where we're going. Here's what Ten Hag is doing. Here's where the club is going. And yes. there's bumps along the way. Okay. Like, and if the fans understood that here's where we're going, here's what we're trying to do it would be more acceptable to things like that. So why I like, like, I, I hate that we did it. And then report came out today in the athletic about how the spirit is broken throughout Tottenham. The staff is down. They don't feel like we have direction. There's been a lot of turnover in the executive ranks. And so it seems like the club just needs to hit the whole a refresh from the, the, the ground up. They brought in this director of football or the director of football is going to report to him, Scott Munn, who I think looks like a terrible hire. He was, in charge of city China and city Australia before that's completely not relevant to what we want to do here. We need to hire a new director of football. We need a, a manager to come in. And so I think it's a reset time and, and Levy needs to really get out of all of those things. If this guy, Scott Bunn's going to do it, he needs to hire the right manager to bring this back around. And then we need to do a real hard look at the squad and figure out who to get rid of. Similar to like what Chelsea has to do in a way to build back, the spirit into this team on a long-term term project. Cellini was a terrible idea from the jump, right? We know that. Uh, we said that at the time, like, how are you going to continue with the same guy? Make zero sense. He was, they believed that the tactical system was working, but the person was the problem. They were clearly, you know, out on Cellini. Ryan Mason, like, you know, is he's their friend. So I don't, I mean, like, I think it's better than Cellini, but the lineup today seem the same <laughs> with Richarlison's replacing Kulishevsky. So I don't know how much is really going to change at the end of the year, other than hopefully Ryan can get them at least playing for him because they're friends, but he's not the long-term answer. And they desperately need, we need to announce Nigelsman this week. And if we, if they, if Chelsea announced Pochettino and we don't announce Nigelsman, like right on the back of it, it is going to be, it's going to get a hundred times worse. And that will lead to Kane wanting to leave more in the summer mm -hmm. And on, we need to make these decisions now. Who's in, who's out. 
We can't wait till the end of the year. And so, yeah, I, I think it is a total reset moment for the whole culture of the club. And, and it, but it can turn around really quickly. It can turn around really quickly because the manager can turn it around like that. So it's just bringing the right manager in and then we get going again. But I've never seen Spurs at this point where the Colt club seems broken. I've seen this where we're a worse team. I've seen this where we, we don't, we're not this high in the table. You know, it was good, good players, but it wasn't the fans are like hate, you know, the apathetic, the fans are apathetic and just expect yeah. misery. I've never seen like it to this level before. And then it looked like the players are apathetic. So yeah, I think it just like shined a light on where we're at and, uh, and where the focus really, really needs to be going forward. And like I said, manager and some tough decisions on players. So like yeah. maybe it is time for Kane to go. Maybe it's son needs to go. I think we should get rid of Eric Dyer. I love Romero, but like he looks like he could be a cancer in the locker room, a bit of a problem. And he's given up and almost thinks that he must, he's better than like better than this. Richarlison, I don't know what he, I mean, everyone's like such a great guy, such a great guy. I don't know if he's causing problems. He's not playing. So I think, I think we need to do some major surgery on, on the squad and get rid of this, this toxicity. But yeah, it was, uh, it was the lowest day I've had as a, as a Spurs fan where I was just like, honestly, I was just like, fuck this at halftime. I was like, it's not, it's, it's not that I don't care because you care deeply. It's just, uh, it's just this thing is so broken that you almost like expect it now. Yeah. It was like a car crash, right? Like I, I, even though it was just a total nightmare, I had the game on and I was watching it. And I was just like, how much lower can it go? We talked about it on the last pod of like rock bottom moments, but I think that, um, you know, we found out that there's a new bottom. It just felt like the straw that kind of finally broke their back, right? Like perfect situation in terms of going to Newcastle, a team that's competing with you to get into Europe. They're coming off the back of a 3 nothing shellacking. You're going to be playing at their place. The fans are going to be riled up. There's blood in the water. Change of the tactics was like another sign of things to come. And then I think it just all fell apart. The season felt is, has felt like it's been like three seasons in one. I think the players <laughs> and the staff, I mean, the athletic, it makes sense. They have to be drained. I'm drained, you know? I think that the one thing as a fan that you always want is a little bit of hope, right? That gets you back time and time again. And but right now there's just there's no hope. There's no sense of identity. There's no thing to latch on to. And I agree with you. I hope they get behind Mason and and maybe there's a little bit maybe coming to uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm worried about the game today playing at home and and what that looks like with the fans there, but just a total mess. I, I'm hoping that the the whole clean out is is started, you know, Salini can go and a couple other guys can go, but I still believe it's a good roster in terms of like if Nagel, if we can announce Nagelsmann and he comes in and he sits these guys down and says, hey, listen, give me, you know, give me six to eight months. Go to, you know, let, let's get through a summer together. Let's see what that looks like. We'll add one or two buys because like Romero, Kulisewski, like we still have good pieces, but it just it, the season needs to end, even though we're still in the hunt for Europe. And there needs to be like a little bit of decompression time because right now it's just. A spile. My big concern is that Chelsea's waiting for this weekend to announce Pochettino like right before the game on like Saturday or Sunday and just like drop a bomb and and try to add to to, to the woes. But um, yeah, it's it was it and, was and we haven't even reached out. Like, that's the other. That's the other. Like the hope is such a good point because it's like comes out that we haven't even picked up the phone to Pochettino. He was never even in consideration, right? Which I think crazy. is crazy and like a ter- another terrible decision by by Levy on the football side. And the hope is such a uh, good point as well. is because it's the expectation for the season because the way we ended last season. And like you said, we have yeah. so many good pieces was that, you know, we should be in at least going for third, right? Third or second. Right. And and we should have been challenging for that. And so the, the level of drop off and that every game has felt like, wow, we're shit. And it has not been enjoyable mm-hmm. to watch. And even when you ground out results, it didn't even feel good. Right. Like there's very few wins this season that actually felt like a win. And so that it just felt the season's felt so long. It's been so consistent with the poor performances and it's been such a drop. I, I saw a, a quote from forgot his name, the little Italian dude who played for Toronto FC, who was at Juventus for a while. You know what I'm talking about? Jovinko. Yeah. So he said like when Conte left, the players were like so relieved because they were so exhausted and like worn down by him. Mm-hmm. And that was a much longer run that he was at Juventus. But I just, it's, it's almost like I wonder if the way that Conte has drilled them and the type of training they did 
and maybe lack of belief because the way he set them up has just Mm -hmm. sunk into them at such a level that they need like someone else to jumpstart and be like, no, you guys are great players and we can compete at this level. Right. And the Conte was always about like, we're mid table and, we're not good and we can't compete with the big teams. I don't know what he said behind closed doors in the, in the training room, but that's what he said to the press. And so I don't know yeah. how much that has actually gotten into their heads and, and again, the tactical setup because the same thing as Newcastle, it was like the tactical system was like that, but we didn't even get close to anybody, right? Like it was still so much space on the ball that those the goal from uh, the, from like 35 yards out, great ball by Joe Willock with the outside of his foot, but nobody near him, those runs are behind yeah. and still nothing on the ball going forward, no connectivity. And so it just looks like a total, to me, lack of belief throughout the team. And everyone's just so worn down and maybe thinks they're shit, more shit than they are. But yeah, we're, we you look through the squad, there's enough ta- more than enough talent there with, with the right system. We should be we should be up there competing with anybody. Yeah. And so I think it's just that delta, delta from the expectation to where we are. But yeah, it is. Uh, it has been absolutely... It was it was brutal, and I just expect them to run in to be brutal and see how far we fall down the table. Yeah, the one thing too I've, I've I've started to think about again is is like you really have to be at your best, or if you're not at your best, you have to provide some sort of energy. There has to be a, a collective spirit. Like look what happens with, with with Chelsea. Like all the talent in the world, there's not a belief, there's not a spirit, there's not an identity, and they're free falling yeah. as well. You know, I look at someone like Nottingham Forest yesterday beating Brighton like that place was rocky and there was a little bit of belief you know they almost beat Liverpool the other day so you have to have you have to like bring it you really have to have something to, to hang your hat on every day and we just don't have that we don't have the football we don't have the spirit the fans aren't behind us we don't have the manager so there's just not a lot to to to, to grasp to right now and I think that's why the fees the season feels so prolonged and I think that's why it's we're so desperate for someone to come in and and, and set the ship right because there's just it's not there yeah that's a great force is a great example to bring up right or like ever like that's a great example to bring up or like everton last year right those mm. fans didn't want frank lampard there right and yeah. it was such a contentious goodison was so contentious to go for a long time during that season and they turned on them really quick but then when the rubber hit the road those last like remember three four games of the season and yeah. it was like a champions league final every game oh, remember outside the stadium scenes, iconic scenes yeah and like blue flares, the bus in the stadium, those fans kept Everton in the league last year, mm-hmm. right? And you saw like with Forrest, the, that you need that, like you said, that, that air of belief th- throughout, throughout the team. And I think, and from the fans and, and that everyone's buying in, just like at a company, if everyone's not buying into the direction, even if they mm. disagree with some of the decisions, the company doesn't go anywhere. You need everybody to, to really and Villa, a good example, right? Villa's turned on those. The club kind of turned on Jared. I didn't look like he had the players bought in. The supporters got frustrated early, and then Emery got them all. All those players really buy into a system, and then they start playing good stuff, and the fans really behind it. And so they're like, they're a good example of what what can happen. And again, how how quickly it can can change. But yeah, like forced, you know, against one of the most informed teams in Europe, and you know they will them to go the other way because they believe in. They might all love Steve Cooper, but they believe in enough in what he's doing to to be there to be there, make it happen. And so that's what we've always had. That was one thing that Spurs always had is one of the best uh, support systems in the country, and it's just not not there right now. And I think it seeps into the players almost playing in a fearful way and scared to make mm-hmm. mistakes. It's gotten really really bad. So yeah, we need the season to end, and we need to announce a new manager asap. And it's going to hurt when Poch goes to Chelsea. It's like incredibly yeah. sad. Yeah, and I think he'll do well. He's got all the tools, and obviously they got the financial backing, and and that'll be interesting because right now we're fighting for Europe, and Chelsea's out of form. Liverpool's had a little bit of a dip. Uh, you know, looking ahead to next year with Newcastle, Villa, Brighton. I mean, we you're you're walking into a you know it's the Lions Den, and and hopefully you know with the summer and a little bit of you know I don't know a couple buys. Or I'm I'm looking for something to to help spark us as we head into the summer. Yeah, right manager, and we need to get rid of a couple guys and make a couple really good buys that, that aren't just uh, – that, that everyone's excited about. I don't care how much money we spend. It's just about the right players in the right position. And and something like Basuma, Bob Basuma was excited about him. Conte looked like he had no intention of playing him. I just don't see how he could have come in and flopped that bad because he was so – he's a proven Premier League player, right? 
So it's like he had no intention of playing him. Didn't look like he had any intention of playing with Charleston. I think with Charleston's garbage. I get that. But like you're still buying players that were never going to be played. It doesn't. So it's like you need a manager now to buy the right guys and have the squad believe in it. And you need to make the decision right now also with Harry Kane. Like one year left on his contract. Yeah. He runs mm-hmm. it down and you're not going to – he has a right to leave. No Spurs fan should be mad at him. But you need to know now so you could cash in on him. It's irresponsible not to cash in on him this summer if he's not going to go. If he's like, no, look, you bring in Nigelsman on a – on a three-year project, I'll be here for that. Great. Then you build around them. If not, you need to like make that call. And then like you said, Chelsea, perfect for Potch to walk into. He is great with young players and developing them. He's great at building that collective team spirit. He's great at what Chelsea is really bad at right now, which seems like any type of work rate. It's almost like they are, they all think they're making too much money to run and like yeah. play defensively. <laughs> and, you know, if I'm sure if he's going in there, they're giving him enough sway over the player personnel decisions on who he wants to get rid of. And if they hire him this week, he has plenty of time to make the decisions on the squad. So I think they'll be back in full force and have, you know, one of the most talented squads in the league. Like you said, you look at, like, I don't know if Villa can maintain this next year, but Liverpool will be back. Brighton, I think, will continue their run, right? So right there, that's like eight teams. Yeah. You know, that's eight very, very good teams. Yep, yep. I guess we can continue to talk a little bit about Villa um, on this run. You, you said you don't think it's, I mean, they're on a breakneck pace, right? They, they've, they <laughs> they're winning games left and right. They're moving up the table. Still fun to watch. I mean, the, the Brentford game, they, they got a result out of there with the, with the late goal. And then they beat Fulham um, earlier this week. Fulham's kind of packed it in a little bit mid table, but yeah, Villa is still fun to watch. I mean, I still, I, I know it's not going to happen, but I'm still holding out hopes for, for an Unai Emery kind of move. And maybe it's something where you said it, they, they're not going to hold on to this kind of pace. And, um, but I do think they'll spend a little bit of money. I think they'll back him and, and get him a couple of guys. And maybe they level off a little bit back to, back to earth. But they might find themselves in Europe next year. Yeah, I think they'll continue to do really well this season. I think like with just a retooled how competitive the Premier League is, how hard it yeah. is. to like You look at West Ham, right? And West Ham falling back down the table. They spent a bunch of money on players that looked like goodbyes although Paqueta the last two games finally looks like the guy I think they thought he would be and scoring great goals from everywhere and being an engine room up top and combining and that hasn't been there all year so it's just hard to sustain year to year but I think they'll they'll back them and Villa you know will definitely be battling for Europe I don't know if they'll be like you know top top four or six but the thing that impressed me about Villa the last two games even though one was a draw and then one was a narrow win and that looks like a big slowdown of what they were doing before that is winning when you're not playing well, winning and scrap or getting points in, scra- in scrappy ways. So like late goal, Brentford's really good, right? Brentford is a very good team, very difficult place to play. Thomas Frank sets them up very well tactically. They're very flexible. Mm-hmm. So that's a like going to Brentford and getting a draw is like in the last minute, great, you know, great result. Fulham without Mitrovic, different proposition, but still you and they Villa were not at their best, although they I thought they like had the better of the game. And they still went out and ground out the results, getting goals from different places, Tyron Mings with the like the flick on the, the corner. So it's not all Ollie Watkins being stout defensively and just like figuring out how to get points is a different dimension than hey, we're we're playing with all this confidence and we're flying and, you know, we're we're really quick back to front. All the things they do really well with Wendia and Ramsey and Watkins, they're winning and getting points in different ways, which I think speaks well to the run-in at the end of the season. And they have a really tough run-in at the end of the season. They have United, Wolves, which is a big derby, us, which will be Spurs, which will be easy, and then Liverpool and Brighton. Yeah. Like, that's got to be one of the tough, maybe the toughest run in at the end of the season. But so maybe getting a couple of these bumps in the road and battle tested, it will serve them better than, you know, flying and being overconfident in, in a way. But that, that's what really surprised me in, uh, about them in the last two games. Yeah, they have United coming up on the on the weekend. That'll be interesting to see. I think that'll be a nice little tactical setup there. You know, two teams, although Man United is a little bit back and forth, and especially with their exit from from Europe. But I think um, it'll be a nice, um, a nice gauge to see, you know, um, if it's something that can they go to Old Trafford and, and grind out another result for a United team that when they're playing well they they look super dangerous, especially at home. But there's still times when they look a little bit vulnerable. I I, I don't think they have the the attacking power outside of Rashford right now. You talk about Harry Kane potentially leaving. I mean, if he goes over to to Manchester um, next year, I mean that really really fills the the big gap that they re- need right now to to get Veghorst <laughs> out of the nine role who, who still hasn't scored a league goal for them so 
I can and see that's an essential cog in that wheel. I mean, Harry Kane just we talked about this before. He's he is just like Holland in his way is such a great setup for City because having that true goal score at the end of everything and a focal point. Harry Kane's ability to drop in to the nine and play those long balls with his back to goal and those long diagonal balls to Anthony, to Rashford, to have Erickson underneath him and how he can help combine with Erickson, set Erickson up to play those balls, freeing up Bruno Fernandez. Like his playmaking ability is second. He's the best playmaking forward in the world. And so he fits so well into that system with all the pace. And then when United, you said United at times for whatever reason struggled to get goals here and there, like, as some stat like Spurs would be almost in the relegation battle without Harry Kane's expected points that he gives to them with goals and assists as I read somewhere. And so obviously great goal scorer will show up. So if I'm United, I go break the bank for him, even though you're going to pay 80, hundred million for a guy who has two years left at, at, at his prime, but he might be able to still have good years, you know, into his thirties uh, playing more of an attacking center mid type type role, but he is the perfect, he, he is a missing piece, I think for, mm-hmm. for yeah. United. And if I was him, I would go get him. And then if I'm Spurs, go sell him and then go buy Kulamani from Frankfurt, the French forward. Mm, yeah. And and get him. Or I would try to get Os- Osman um, from Napoli. Yeah, Osman from Napoli so and, and Kulamani. I would try to get both of them. And they're not mm. going to come to Spurs without Julian Nagelsmann, right? If you have Nagelsmann yeah. and we're retooling and da da da, like that's, that's your only shot. They're not going to come for Arnie Slot in seventh place Tottenham, you know? Yeah. So, like, that's the yeah. other reason. It's like, if you want to retool with the right guys and spend that Harry Kane money, you need a project that they're going to be excited to 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 come into. And then United at the back is the other thing, right? So can Maguire and Lindelof hang on <laughs> at the end of the year? Like it's such yeah. a drop off from Martinez and uh, Varane. So that's going to be interesting yeah. to see how they can hold on. But look, I mean, they had a good result against Brighton, and some of the other players are really stepping up. Wampasaka, great game against shut. First time I saw Matoma shut down all season. Yeah. which shows the quality yeah. that that he has. Yeah, yeah. completely locked yeah. him down. Yeah. And then um, uh, yeah, West great Ham. Final. Great. Well, yeah, I think City's going to win, but it will be it'll yeah. be a great derby, derby to have in the final. Yeah. yeah, I mean, United fans, right, we're, they're taking it as this is the opportunity to stop the treble, right? It's, yeah. Um, you know, uh, so it'll be it'll be fun to best, watch. Best storyline. I feel like because the FA Cup has been so flat, it's just so decreased in importance over the years. I don't yeah. remember a final that has had, I feel like, this much writing on it the derby stopping from the treble like there's yeah. actually like a lot of the line all the other epic cups yeah just have kind of felt like a, unless you have unless your team's in it it's just kind of felt like a, a whatever it just feels like the yeah. league cup sometimes i know you got to run in a in a second uh but no, west ham was the to, other big thing yeah west ham was good i i kind of wanted to jump over to chelsea a little bit um oh, yeah. because it's just it's so fascinating i mean you sent me a text Two weeks ago, well, probably maybe three weeks ago when Lampard took over and you said, you know, if they continue this run of form, they might find themselves in a whole mess of trouble. And um, unfortunately, to give you credit, here we are. I saw a, a post the other day, 18 games, Lampard's last 18 games. Say that again. That was a disaster, yeah. <laughs> disaster, yeah. I think they've won one game in his last 18 as a manager. Um, he hasn't won with Chelsea. They're out of the Champions League. Wow. I mean, they're ten, after today, they didn't. I don't believe they played it. They lost to Brentford yesterday. They're like 10 points out of the drop zone. I mean, it's yeah. it's great. You know, they, I think there's, what, six games left? But I was just taking a look at their, their run-in and the next couple games. If you take the fact that they play Wrexham in the summer out of it in the Florida Cup, I think that um, they're going to have some difficult games. They have Newcastle, United, City, and Arsenal next. I mean, that's no joke. And the way they're the form they're in now, it would just be so. I mean, it would be mind blowing, right, to see them. You know, drop. You know, play. They play Arsenal next. If they drop that game, and and a team from the bottom gets three points, like they'll be hovering around it. I don't think it's going to happen. But what do you think's going on with 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 all of that? They have six to play. They have a game, so they're ten points with a game in hand. So. I mean, that's 18 points, 10 out of 18. It could happen. It's just you need someone to get a run. The thing is, if you look at the bottom of the table, Leicester City, all of a sudden, win in a draw, J.B. Vardy scoring Mm -hmm. goals. Like, they look like they might be able to go on somewhat of a run. If you look at their run Mm -hmm. in Everton in a six-pointer Monday, Fulham, like you said, Fulham looks like, you know, they've kind of packed it in for the season. You could see them maybe going in there. Liverpool, you don't know who's going to show up. Newcastle will, will be tough, and then West Ham could be a six-pointer. It's not easy, but those are yeah. games that could that could go on that could create a situation where you know 
three wins and a draw, you know, and they're, they're getting, they're getting three wins and uh, yeah, three wins and a draw. And they're, they're, they're right there. I could yeah. see like you, but you look at that run in for Chelsea. I don't like, yeah, you could see them just not. And, they, and Bournemouth has won, you know, three of their last four. They're like, have a little bit of spirit. They won again today. I saw like, that's not going to yeah, be an Bournemouth. easy game. I just Bournemouth know, has been on an absolute run. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see, I guess, because like what, what Spurs did, right? They pulled the plug on on Stellini. Like, do they pull the plug on Lampard? Like in the next like it's, I don't know it's where crazy you, to I ask, think... right? But it's six games left. It's like if they if they lose the next game, it, it just kind of becomes like, okay, this is getting a little bit too Where do you go? Point. What yeah. Like where do you I think it all depends on really the Leicester run, right? Because even if he loses and you're not worried about relegation, you don't do it because A, it's gonna look even worse. But B, like where do you where do you go from here? Bournemouth could be really, really tricky. Every single game they are in, I mean, the West Ham game, the 4-0 was an anomaly. And like, but besides that, they've battled, it seems like, been difficult to beat. And they're going to be in that relegation zone. They're yeah. going to be in that relegation battle. The thing, Chelsea, too, is with all of the money they spent and all the attacking players, and they're cycling through. Aubameyang played last game. They have Madra coming off the bench. They have Pulisic in and out. Nobody can score a goal. They don't even come mm-hmm. close. They don't even look close to scoring goals. Like a Aubameyang mm-hmm. was like, was doing these like very weak, almost passes to the keeper and looking, playing very individualistic up there. Um, he just looked like very rusty. And it's almost looked like Lampard's just trying everything he can and nothing one, is one goal working. In their, one goal in their last seven games, including Champions League. Blanked at home against Brentford. They'll play Nottingham Force as well, who's got a little bit of spirit. It's at Stamford Bridge, but... I don't think that really matters right now. I think that place could quickly turn even more toxic. Like I said, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, maybe they draw with Arsenal. They they nick Bournemouth. They're four points out of the next two, and they're they're probably that probably wraps it up for them. But you, but even if just, that happened, even if they if they even if they, I mean, I think they'll lose to Arsenal. Arsenal coming back from that game, but let's say they draw and they beat Bournemouth, and that's four points, right? And maybe they draw against West Ham, and then they lose out, right? It's still. Even getting like they're going to finish so low, like not relegation, but even that low down the table is bananas. It would be amazing if they announced Pochettino and got relegated, though. It would be <laughs> that would, it would be amazing. It's, it's, it's see what would like would he stay and like would it would it happen? But yeah, you can't you yeah. can't bring in this many people in this part of the season and have them gel when you have no time to train. Right? They play twice yep. a week. And there's more guys than there is space in the training room. And so this was, this was always, always going to happen. It'd be interesting if they just like didn't play any of those guys and just tried to go with the guys who were here in, in August to have some injuries and things like that. But it just really shows how much this model backfired and how much time they need to gel. I still think next season they're going to be amazing and yeah. they have so yeah. much talent. And once they do gel and they're, they're not, and they're behind a, a non lame duck manager, I think they'll be great. The Lampard thing's interesting too, because all those guys know Lampard's gone, right? The second he came in. Yeah. But his inability, it seems, to motivate guys and to play for him when he is Frank Lampard, who all these guys, everyone, you know, would look up to and respect, yeah. that he hasn't gotten them to do that. And at Everton, right? They were miserable. Darby County was a little bit of a different situation because it was all young guys basically on loan. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. It's like the Chelsea and Liverpool Brigade were on loan down there. But even then, they kind of, st- I think they were in sixth and stayed maybe like went from seventh to sixth or something like that. So I've been really surprised. And same thing with Gerard. Like he didn't seem, when he got to Villa, those guys didn't want to play for him. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just talks about how, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a, you know, frustration maybe that like you guys can't do what I do. But yeah, Chelsea is an absolute, I, I'm yeah. shocked. And that Brentford game, Brentford looked comfortable the whole time. Oh, yeah and dominated the game and didn't look bothered on the ball didn't really look worried either about Chelsea scoring in any of those positions and Thomas Frank said after the game I'm surprised how much respect Chelsea gave us I was like whoa I've never like at at Sanford Bridge for the Brentford manager to say that is shocking really shocking but I hope they lose out and I hope they get relegated it'd be fantastic (laughs) that's great yeah the bottom is, is starting to you know, it's 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 starting to become um, you know three separate. It's so massive. Yeah, yeah. Southampton look like they're 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 yeah. they're floundering, and Everton. I really thought um, Sean Dyche would go in there, and but they're they're getting waxed. I just saw the scoreline from today. 
I won't tell you if you, you haven't seen the highlights, but they're in um, a little bit of, of trouble. Leicester, I think, like I said, has enough quality to to pull it out. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Bournemouth has, has created some separation. So uh, that was the biggest a, shock to me. It's Bournemouth at thirty six. Yeah. yeah, Bournemouth at thirty six, and like, and they're a little bit. As I said every game's they. I feel like they fight even against West Ham. I felt like they they put up a fight, but West Ham was just clinical. But you look at it now, you got to think like four more they say 42 is a magic number so they're almost yeah. almost there west ham is in a in a lost they lose today because they were in a decent run of form before today they just lost to liverpool they lost to liverpool yesterday yeah and on a tough var call as well so they're yeah. they could have easily gotten a point there so i think west ham and bournemouth will continue to kind of separate out and then leeds forest and Leicester, I think, is the race for the last spot. I don't yeah. know how Everton – it's going to be really, really tough. I mean, and Everton, I guess, in 28 because one win and they're kind of they're kind of back in it. But, um, I mean, Everton's last five, two draws, three losses. Re- like you said, it looked like Sean Dyche had them just not giving mm-hmm. up goals. And they shipped four yeah. to Newcastle, it looks like. And so it's going to be, be tough to turn around. I still think Leeds goes down and Everton gets over the line. But Leeds have been – just because it leads, leads just look like a disaster. On like tactically, they look like yeah. a disaster, no and they look too yeah. easy to play through. Yeah, they concede goals. I don't love. Is it Moulier, their goalkeeper either? I, I know Carragher kind of tore into him the other day about it, but I've always worried about him. I know that he had kind of some comparisons to like De Gea in terms of first getting into the league and people testing him, and he's made a couple of nice saves, but he just doesn't have. Um, I don't know. I think when you're in a relegation battle, you know, someone like Nottingham Forest with Kaylor Navas, like someone who has that experience, has that belief, you know, Pickford has a little bit of that. He's been through the fire with Everton. You know, I think that that, that position is super important to, to make a couple saves or to galvanize the back four and, and take results. So I don't disagree with you. I think um, it's going to be it's going to be super tight. And like not finishing out Leicester City, right? Having the lead and that massive six pointer, like th- things like that, where they just look shaky. They just look shaky, and like they think they're going to concede at all times. If you look at the run in for Leeds, Bournemouth six pointer again, then City, Newcastle, West Ham could be safe by then because the second left of the season, so that might be West Ham might be a little foot off the gas, and then Spurs. So you know, these next really three games could be so, so crucial to try to try to skate, skate by, but city and Newcastle in the form they're in, you think those are, you know, no goes. And then, yep. um, so it's, it's not going to be, it's not gonna be easy. They just don't look like they have, um, and like you said, any solidity. they run around, it's just, they run around a lot. That's they, yeah. and they look so discombobulated when they do that. And then the new manager, I just don't think has had enough time to bend in his system and getting away from the Bielsa, mm-hmm. Jesse Marsh, like, Everybody run all the time, right? I think <laughs> and, ball. Yeah, and they're just trying to be a little somebody bit. Somebody hit somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And trying to be more, I don't know, like more tactically disciplined. Inter- interjection that style midseason has been, yeah. I think, tough, tough for them. But it'll be an interesting, yeah. interesting run in. Yep. Wrapping up here, I think we should uh, let's let's touch on the the new um, sporting director for U.S. Soccer, Matt Crocker. You want to talk a little bit about? that and finally it, it appears some stability potentially coming i mean he's got some big decisions to make it's nice to have at least a, a sporting director we have a couple other positions open as well would you would you think of that higher i think it's important that he's not a member of the u.s soccer family or even more importantly <laughs> a member of anybody's family from u.s soccer yeah. <laughs> that was the biggest thing he's not a Burlter, he's not a reina he's not a mcbride he's not an mm-hmm. arena like yeah, we got we got to get out of this. He's not a Sonny Gulati, you know, like Sonny Gulati's kid. Like we got to get out of this nepotism thing that exists in U.S. soccer. So the fact that we went and just hired fucking anybody else is win number one. The credentials I think are interesting, but the challenge of that is U.S. soccer because of the pay-to-play system and how massive the country is and how fragmented all the the system is. Right, like you you live it. Right, there's there's how many leagues are there? There's like the MLS next gen league and there's the, this league and that there's like a hundred different youth leagues, it seems like. And so it, that's different than just building a youth club. Now I don't know if anywhere has that challenge that we have. So I don't think there's like the perfect fit for it, but the fact that he was in charge of the whole Southampton youth Academy, he also had a role at the FA molding youth policy. I think that's really good in England has produced some of the best talent in the world over the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, he was an important part of that. Southampton's been one of the best talent factories 
in the UK yep. um, and obviously in his work at the FA as well. I think they took a gamble this year uh, in terms of we're going to load up on everyone else's best reserve players <laughs> and it didn't, didn't necessarily pay out, but I don't think he should be judged on that. So I like those aspects of it. And the fact that he's ran a, a premier league football club and, and has a lot of good connections across the game, I think is, is great. And the fact that we have a really young team and it's about getting this young team to take the next maturing step. That's the part that he's ever, that's not what Southampton's ever been. It's young guys in Salomon and, and uh, so that, that's part I'm a little nervous about, but overall, I, I like the the profile. My other question is, is his profile big enough to attract, like we should hire Jose Mourinho. I don't know. He's had such a good run at Roma. I don't know if he's like, we're, you know, we're not big enough for him, but I would have loved to go get the sport. This may not be realistic, but hire Austin Wenger as a sporting director and hire Jose Mourinho as the manager. Like that's what I think this country needs. I don't know if you have the checkbook to do that or that's realistic. People want to come here, but I don't think it's terrible and it's a much better step than we've done in the past. What, what did you think? Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. Um, and I think that he's got that experience in, in terms of some of the things Southampton's done. They invested in their youth uh, program and some of their facilities and things like that. It's just such a tricky job being kind of on the ground floor of it here. And you mentioned there's different leagues. There's a new breakaway league that just separated from L- MLS next now and different teams and different coaches. And there's so many, gimmicks and there's so many um you know sales pitches and there's so many you know try to put it nicely there's so many people who uh, maybe aren't doing it for the best of reasons it's so hard to, to to pick through all that and then you add into it just the geographic size of the u.s and then you add trying to recruit you know uh, dual nationals and things like that so it's a it's a tough job it sounds like something that he could he could start to put the the pieces together and but i think the manager who he hires is going to be big do they keep Burhalter, in my opinion, they, they have to get rid of him and, and wipe to. the slate um, completely clean. Go and get someone who's got that international experience. I think that's why Jesse Marsh probably doesn't get get picked, um, or like a guy like Jim Curtin, someone maybe outside the MLS. So I, I think for me, the biggest thing was, hey, we're doing something a little bit different, and let, let's see how it works. But the the manager hire is going to be very very interesting. I read some of his quotes in terms of. He was very professional about it. Hey, let's take our time. You know, I, I can't comment on things basically before we're going to do our due diligence. So there's a little bit of patience, which is fine as long as we get the get that decision right. Similar to Spurs, right? We, we can be patient up to a certain point, but it's been several weeks. It's been several months since the World Cup. And this is the first time we made a, a move since, you know, December. So hopefully there's yeah. more good things to come. But a lot of pressure with us hosting the World Cup um, the next cycle and, and a pretty talented to, um you know, pool of players. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really talented. I mean, this, like you said, this team on paper with the right manager who can adjust them tactically because this team isn't good enough to impose their tactics on others, but can, who can adjust tactically and bring the best essentially out of this really athletic midfield we have against other teams at home could make a semifinal run, right? Mm-hmm. Like South Korea did it. There's no reason why this squad with this talent yeah. who's going to be entering their prime can't do it and you need the right manager and to be able to do that and that's one of the many reasons why we fell down is Burholter definitely wasn't that guy the you need to make this hire first the director first before the manager he's, he's responsible for it and if we go into the summer and make it it's fine with spurs it's like no you, you it's the merry-go-round that's happening and you can miss out on the candidate you see the needs needs that quickly but i think he'll bring a just a new and use uh, a more experienced purview and opinion than we would have had in-house and we're not going to hire anybody's brother this time. And that's a good, and that's a, that's a very, very good, very good thing. I just hope, yeah, I just hope that we can convince one of the top guys to, to come in. I still think Mourinho is the perfect, he's a mass, master tactician, can breathe belief into guys, loves to play the, like, the bad guy, underdog, blah, blah, blah. Like he, you know, that whole, he can go in and, and do that. You see his, at Roma, what he's done kind of in that type of role where he hasn't been expected to win trophies type of a thing. And just, we need the arrogance. We need a little bit yeah. more, more of that, more of that arrogance. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it was a good, a good step for Rio soccer. <clears throat> and I hope he lasts the whole time. Like, I don't know what it's yeah. like working within that organization under Sydney, Parlo, the head of us soccer, and all any other political shenanigans that go with it. That's the other thing that a newbie like traversing that environment, he might go in there and be like, wow, this is, this is completely fucked up. The things you guys do in here. And like you said, how 
the youth system works out operates, but I hope he's here for 10 years, 10, 15 years and, and takes the system, the system forward. The other thing he's got to figure out is like how to recruit more. We got to continue to recruit dual nationals, right? Like there's some holes in this squad. We need two center backs and there are some interesting guys around Europe, but nobody's stepping up into that role and you still need the number nine. Right. And so, you know, there's a race on for the kid at Arsenal who's playing in France right now. And we need to go find two other two center backs out there. Yeah. Yeah. A couple spots to shore it up. The midfield looks good. And some of the attackers are coming back into form now. And a goalkeeper, we have a decent selection of goalkeepers with some, you know, um, international experience and playing abroad right now. So I agree. A couple pieces and, and hopefully get this thing moving in the right direction. Yeah. And you look through this far right now, every position you think is either great or good enough besides the nine and the two center backs, I think. So if, uh, if your dad was in the army and you grew up playing soccer, uh, internationally yes. give uh give us soccer a call well thank you hi man i got to uh speaking of u.s youth soccer i have to go out there and i got my 06s and my 07s tonight so they've been playing well i'm excited to get back out lucky there. lucky lucky them the amount of yes, knowledge yes. that is being bestowed on them they have no idea how privileged yeah. they are all of our warm-ups are short short long <laughs> Short, short, long, or wherever it goes. Uh, I say in the parking lot a lot. Where, where does the ball need? If the ball's in a dangerous spot, it needs to go into the parking. We can reset it from there. Short, short, long. What we used to do with Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of short, it. short, long, and it was like all the way across the width of the field. It was yeah. all, just all the way across. Just yeah. Can you hit sixty yard? <laughs> Not diagonal, flat no. balls to the other yeah. side of the field. With no pressure on you. Oh, All that's right. Great. All right, buddy.